welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. Oh, yeah, thanks. Maybe we could just pray and ask for the Lord's help now tonight. Lord, we thank you for this time already of worship in your presence. Oh, Lord, we bless you. Just thank you for that sense of your nearness, Lord, that ability just to speak to you how beautiful you are, how wonderful you are. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You truly are wonderful to us, Lord. And we just ask you now that you will be with us tonight, Lord, that you help us to hear, to speak, to listen to what you would have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at the weekend, uh, Pastor Nick was exploring this wonderful thought of the, that life within us uh, in the type of Mary and how she brought to birth that, that new life and that growth of the, the, the Christ life within us. And that whole mystery of, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it, it was, I had been thinking along the lines of, I suppose, the starting point for this word. It was kind of a similar, similar thought, but with a, a slightly different twist on it. And I was thinking of Rebecca in the Old Testament. Uh, she was the wife of Isaac, one of the patriarchs. And the word of God tells us that she was barren. She had no child. So Isaac, her husband, sought the Lord for her and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord heard their prayer and gave her conception. But during the pregnancy, it's, it says that the, the, the children, she had twins. She didn't know it, obviously. She had no ultrasound back then. But they were struggling inside of her. And Whatever that felt like, you were talking at the weekend, Pastor Nick, about the alien. <laughs> Two aliens fighting inside must have been even more terrifying. But um, she, she becomes perturbed by this. And it says that she went to inquire of the Lord and she asked him, Lord, if it be so, why am I like this? In other words, Lord, you've, you've heard my prayer. You've answered my cry for a child but now I feel like there's something very wrong happening inside of me. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? And the Lord answers her and says, there's two nations, two peoples are within you. So he gave her his twins there. Two nations, two peoples shall come out of you. They'll be different from each other. One will be stronger than the other and the elder will serve younger. This was the word of God to Rebecca. And you know, I was thinking about that sense of that life within us. And we have a marvelous life within us, but we also have another life that struggles with that life. So we have that conflict inside of us. And we, have you ever felt that question mark arising? Maybe you're a young Christian and you think it's all Systems go, and then suddenly you feel this awful struggle in yourself. This 
life, this old life of your nature, struggling with the new life inside. And you say, Lord, if it's so, why am I like this? And we can even, as, as Christians, many years in the road, we still get surprised by that onslaught that can come inside of us, that struggle. But there's a wonderful promise given to Rebecca, and it's that the elder will serve the younger. And I think this is a foreshadowing of that promise of grace, that the old life in us, the older one, which is our nature, will submit and will serve the younger. The new life will prevail. And that's the topic I want to address tonight, this, this battle, this struggle. And as I was saying, it comes to us all. Um, it, as I say, even, even many years on the road, we can still get surprised by it. We can be absolutely in, in, in really good form and flying along, and then suddenly something comes against us. The enemy of our souls comes. And of course, he invariably collaborates with our old nature, with our flesh. He, he partners with that to floor us. And I was, so that's, I guess that's, that's my topic tonight is this battle. And uh, I was, I must admit, getting this word together was a bit of a battle too, but I was greatly encouraged at the weekend hearing that word of prophecy that came to us through Pastor Stephen about this battle, this battle we're all in. And that advice through, from the Holy Spirit to not exclude the Lord from the battle, which is what we do so often. We look to fight it in our own strength. And the Spirit of God spoke and said, you don't allow me, you choose your own strength. And you cannot win that way. And he was encouraging us to invite him in. And he would give us that great victory with his powerful hand, to wait on him and allow him... So in that vein then, could we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 8, please, and read a few verses from this account, which is regarding King David and his battles and victories. So just taking a few verses from this chapter. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methig Emma out of the hand of the Philistines And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadad-Ezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Beta and from Berotai, cities of Hadad-Ezer, King David took very much bronze. When Tohi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadad-Ezer, 
Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him, because he'd fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for he'd often been at war with Toy. And Joram brought, him, brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadad Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And just the last verse 14, and it says, The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Praise God. So this is kind of a a quick summary account of some of the battles and victories of King David. And just to give some context to this, where, where this fits in to the history of Israel. David has been established now on the throne of Israel. So we have an established kingdom. All of the struggling with Saul and Saul's son has settled down. God promised this shepherd boy the kingdom. He sent the prophet to anoint him as he tended the sheep and said, this is my king. This is my man. So finally, after all the years of being on the run, of being chased down, he's now undisputed king of all Israel. And not only that, but he has returned the the ark of God to Jerusalem. In the tabernacle now it's pitched there in this city that David himself has won. The kingdom has been settled. God has his king in place. And at this point it says David saw, he realized the Lord had established him in the kingdom. And he mentions to the prophet Nathan, Nathan, I live in this wonderful house here and the ark of God is living in a tent. I'd love to build a temple, a house for God. And Nathan says, go right ahead. But then the Lord speaks to the prophet Nathan and reveals to David, no, he wasn't to build the house of God. That wasn't for him to do, but that his son would do it. And you know, some, something needed to happen first. It's kind of hidden in here. But there were things that needed to happen before that house could be built. And we'll get to that. Having then established and settled the kingdom, David, and this is what this chapter is about, he turns his attention not to any issues within Israel, but to the nations on the borders. So there's a kind of a a checklist here of Moab, the Philistines, Edom, the Ammonites, the Syrians, and basically you've got a map. This is a ring around the nation of Israel. These are the nations that, if unchecked, will seek to come against this new strong king. The Philistines have already tried it on and attacked. So these are the nations that are basically hostile, but they're on the borders of Israel. So this is the historical context for this situation. And we kind of get this this quick survey. This could have been over two years, five years, ten years. We don't know. But it's a survey of these victories in these borderland nations. And I suppose what I want to speak about here in terms of us is that we are now part of an established kingdom, 
but with an ongoing battle. We are now part, not of some political kingdom as this was, but we are part of the kingdom of David's greater son. We sang it here tonight. Our first song, Born is the King of Israel. That's what he was born. He was born to the throne of David. But the nature of the kingdom changed when Jesus came. Completely changed. From very, very early on in his ministry, the Lord Jesus made this plain when he spoke to Nicodemus. And he said, unless one is born from above, not born a Jew, not born into the tribe of Judah, but unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's a new kingdom being ushered in with this Messiah, this son of David, the one who will sit on the throne of David forever. And of course, this caused some confusion and controversy at the time. We know even the disciples were somewhat confused. They, even at the very end, even at the Acts, just before Jesus goes back to heaven, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still picking up the wrong end of the stick. That it's, it's the kingdom of Israel, and it's not at all. And Jesus makes it plain. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. This is an internal kingdom that we're all part of. It's a, it's a kingdom now within. It's the rule of Christ and his righteousness within us. And we are part of this glorious kingdom. Paul tells us in one of his epistles, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, it's not in anything external, but it's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the characteristics of this kingdom. Nothing to do with armies and soldiers and, and, and thrones and gold and silver and taxes. It's peace and joy and righteousness and the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom. This is the currency of the kingdom we're involved in. But we are part of a kingdom and we have a king. We sang it at the, the last song we sang. We see him now crucified, risen again, and we see him on the throne of all power. All power. He's seated tonight on the throne and we are his subjects. Hallelujah. An established kingdom. And he is on the throne of the hearts of his people. Hallelujah. For conquering grace, the center has been won. Just as it was here with David, Jerusalem was won. He was seated on the throne. There was no more issue. The land was under control. The center has been won. For every believer, child of God, Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart and life. End of story. You don't have to put him on the throne. You don't have to try to get him on the throne. You don't have to do anything. But he is on the throne. He is on the throne. That's the position of every one of us. The cross has dealt with the core issue and the soul has been saved. Now we are the whole. Our center, that core of us has been handed over. We are part with the king. But... There is also resistance. And this is what we want to touch on tonight. 
our Jerusalem, if you like, our very core, our heart and soul, is at peace with him enthroned. But the borderlands is where the trouble lies. These countries bordering Israel. And you know, for us, the borderlands, the fringes, the edges of what we are, that's these members of ours. Our hands, our eyes, our thoughts, our, our words. Scripture calls it our members. These are the pockets of rebellion. These are our Moab, our Syria, our Philistia. James spells it out very bluntly as he does in his epistle where he says, from where come quarrels and from where come conflicts among you? Is it not from there, out of your passions, warring in your members? And these are real. These are real, these passions. And no human can deal with them adequately. They undo the greatest of men and women. Discipline and self-control will only go so far without Christ. And the lesson, I suppose, the great lesson of the gospel is that the center must be won first. There is no dealing with the borderlands of rebellion without Christ on the throne. Personal reform without being born again is impossible. It's only possible to a degree. But without David, without Jesus on the throne, crowned and ruler, there is no hope of truly coming to terms with all that we are in our nature, those passions that rage in our members, in our minds, in our tongues, in our, the things we do and want to do by nature. But know this, know this, if you're troubled and oppressed by those things that are, you struggle with so hard in your life as a Christian, whatever turmoil there may be in your borders, if you like, don't let this trouble or unsettle you. He is still on the throne. He's still on the throne. And this is what Paul is saying to us in, in the epistle to the Romans when he says that famous statement, reckon or consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. That's what you've got to understand about yourself. Though these things are warring in you, you must consider yourself. This is what you are, dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. The heart of the matter is settled. Jesus is on the throne. Sin shall not have dominion. The elder shall serve the younger. Let's look then, understanding that the kingdom has been won, and there's no issue. There's no issue with the core matter. Understanding then, well, what is the battle strategy of the king in our lives? And if we consider David then, what was his battle strategy in these borderlands? Because I think it gives us a type, uh, a, a picture of how Jesus deals in our lives. 
Now, his battle strategy in these countries that surrounded Israel, that were a threat, that were where trouble and rebellion would lie, it was not one of annihilation. It was a strategy of subjection or subjugation, whatever word you want to use. It was to subdue these countries. It wasn't to annihilate them. If we read some of the detail of what happens, it says that he made the, in Moab, he measured the people with a line, making them lie down on the ground. And two lines he measured to be put to death, one full line to be spared. And then it says, with the horses, he hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred. Now, it's not totally clear what this measuring with the line means, but the general understanding is that this was an approach to, in the context of war of these days, and, you know, we have to say, well, this is a different time, it's a different era, it's a different dispensation. But it was to reduce the fighting force of these countries. There's some thought that perhaps this was a measurement of physique and that the really powerful warrior types, and there's perhaps some suspicion that, you know, it speaks about in, in, in the books of the kings, about these giants that were around, these really huge, tall individuals, whatever strain of DNA was circulating then, that created these extremely tall and, and physically powerful men in, in a time when battle was physical. That perhaps this was a way of weeding these out and reducing the fighting force of this nation. Likewise with the horses, uh, apparently this, this approach was to, to sever or to damage one of the tendons that allowed the horse stayed alive, but it, it's, it could not be used anymore for battle. It could be used for transport in a normal operation of the country, but not for battle. So the idea here was to reduce and weaken the potential of these countries for warfare, but to allow them to live and continue operating as societies. Unlike the, the, the situation with the Canaanites where they were told to just wipe them out. And you know, this is, I believe, a good understanding of how the Lord deals with us, with those flaws that we have, all those things in our, in our members, in our, in our passions. It's certainly not to eliminate us. The Lord has no interest in eliminating us in that sense, eliminating our personality, what makes us us. He doesn't want to turn us into some milk and water, sad sack individuals, humorless, some kind of generic religious person. No, not at all. He wants you to be you. He's not in the business of eliminating and turning everyone into some kind of a priest. No some pious do-gooder who bears no resemblance to who you actually are as a person. 
It's not elimination. And you know, sometimes you'd imagine from the way some Christians behave, it is. It's not. The Lord wants you to be you, me to be me. But it's to bring us into subjection. It's to turn our weapons into service. And this is what happened with these people. These things, these hands, these feet, these words, these, this tongue, this mind, how often, even as a Christian, it can be used as a weapon. A weapon. A weapon of words against people, of tearing people down, of being active in things that just are contrary to the Lord, even for ourselves, that damage us, that damage others, weapons, weapons, damaging, damaging what we are, damaging others. Even as Christians, there is, there is still that need to understand that we can damage ourselves, these members. But the Lord has a battle strategy for your life and for mine. And sometimes it's pretty tough. These are not easy things to read. He sometimes hamstrings our lives like those horses. He reduces us. Sometimes things come against us that reduce us, that limit us, that impact us in a pretty unpleasant way. But he wants to bring us into a place of subjection. Not to annihilate us, but to bring us into a blessed place. You know what? These societies probably prospered. Prospered. Not wasting their money on, on soldiers and on warfare. Not wasting their resources on attacking countries, but focusing on growing. And you know, we waste our lives, so much of our time, on just wrongdoing. But to turn our weapons into service. And this is exactly what happens here. It says he took the shields of gold, these shields for war, and he brought them to the house of God. He took the bronze, all these things in these countries that were just used for weaponry, and he dedicated them to the house of the Lord. Chronicles tells us that Solomon built the laver and the pillars from the bronze that was taken in these battles. And you know the raw materials for the church and the house of God, it comes from you and me, from our members, from what we are, being turned away from waste and foolishness and trouble and being turned into that which builds the house of God. This is the raw material. It's not something magic up in the air. It's you and me. It's our voice, our hands, our feet. It's our thoughts, it's our creativity. It's our mind. Instead of burning it up on some paranoid agenda of folly but 
the Lord wants to take that wonderful mind and voice and energy you have, and he wants to turn it to the house of God. He wants to turn it for good and bless you in the process. This was the missing piece. David could not build the house of God yet. He had to get the materials for it. And the materials are won in battle. The materials are won. And that's where the Lord and the Holy Spirit will win material in your life for the kingdom of God. It's in the battle. It's in the battle. It's in the struggle. It's in the times we go through. You know, the times, the tough times we go through, they're gold mines for God's purpose. I can look back and certainly say, I'm sure you can too. Those dark days I went through, out of them came gold, silver, precious stones that would never have emerged but for the battle strategy of the Lord in my life and his mercy to deliver me from foolishness and emptiness and just wasting all that I am. Very famous chapter in Isaiah. It's quoted in every political gathering from the United Nations to peace talks between the Arabs and the Israelis. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Here's the kingdom. Shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he, Jesus, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Whatever future fulfillment this has, I believe it has a very real fulfillment for you and me. As we look to our king to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears of anger and bitterness into pruny hooks of fruitfulness and joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Finally then, it's his battle campaign, not ours. It's his. And you may think the things that happen in your life are random and uncontrolled and they just seem to come upon you. But I encourage you, the Lord has campaign plans for every life. And in this campaign it says that he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. And you know, I think there's something in that. Lay down. Lay down before him. As that word of prophecy at the weekend, and it's, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Stop your own fighting and attempts. Allow him to take control. Invite him to deal with those things you cannot handle. Surrender. These people had to surrender before, before David. There is rest. 
turning again to Romans 6, just reading those famous verses. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. That's it. Lay down. Present yourselves to God. That's all any of us can do is present ourselves as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's what we do. These members of ours that so often are instruments, and the word instrument here means a weapon, instruments of sin and piercing ourselves through, present them to him. They can be weapons of righteousness. Hallelujah. For sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under the law but under grace. This is the counsel of the word of God. Present your body, your members, what you are, those functions of yourself to him. This is not something super spiritual. It's just you. It's your voice. It's your hands. It's your feet. It's your life. Present it to him. Let him measure you with his line, as David did here. We measure ourselves with our own line, and we try religious self-improvement, and it always goes wrong. (laughs) We will end up like the Pharisees with our own line, where we will, as Jesus said to them, you tithe mint and anise and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters. You swallow a camel and you strain out a gnat. This is the end result in religion, our own little line. We focus on some foolish issue. I remember chatting to a dear friend of mine, a Christian brother from the US, part of the Mennonite community, a born-again believer, but him telling me that one of the churches he was in split down the middle over whether they could listen to the radio or not. Can you imagine such a line, such a measurement line that would determine righteousness? No. Let him measure you with his line. Let him put to death what needs to be put to death. He knows best. He knows. So often the things we get scrupulous about, they're the Lord doesn't care about them at all. He's far more concerned with some, some matter in us that he wants to deal with. You know, there's nothing so sad as a defeated Christian. A Christian who has given up after years of struggling in their own strength. I don't want to end like that. I'm sure you don't either struggling on in our own strength. We have no strength. But the king has a battle campaign for your life if you will let him, if you will present yourself and all that you are to him. There's nothing so troubled as a Christian living 
with constant rebellion in their borders, wanting it both ways, unsubmitted to the Lord, wanting him and wanting everything else. It won't work. It won't work. Submit your life to him. And you know, there's nothing so wonderful. I see it sometimes in these, some of these older saints as a Christian in harness. All of the powers of what they are, even in the weakness of old age, but all that they are, all of their strength and weakness, all of their minds and creativity in the harness of God. It's a wonderful thing. And that's how I want to end. I trust it's how you want to end with our lives subject to God, with the riches being, oh, just being put into that house of God, those weapons of anger and bitterness and foolishness and lust and envy and all of these things that just trouble us, being turned for good, being turned for treasure in the house of the Lord. I believe the Lord wants to bring a great peace to each life, a, a, a sense of his lordship that will bring blessing to us. And he wants to furnish the house of God with all that is needed. He wants to furnish his kingdom with the raw materials of our lives. I just want to finish then, if you're feeling that sense of just inability to, to deal and to handle all of these things that come against you, all of these things that trouble us in our hearts, in our minds, in our flesh, I just want to read a couple of verses of encouragement. Psalm 24, lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.